right, quick heads up for you guys. The interview with Sarah, there was, I think, three times where her internet cut out, and I had to recall her back on Skype, so it was a little choppy here and there, but um, it's still a great interview. Just listen through, and I apologize for the quality, and hopefully you guys get something out of it. So here we go. Enjoy. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. I am your host, Rafael Matuszewski, and I have another awesome guest for you guys. Her name is Sarah Campbell. Say hello. Hi. Uh, So to really just jump in there, if you can tell the audience who you are, what you do, and how you got into the industry. Certainly. So as Rafael just said, my name is Sarah Campbell, and I'm a nutrition coach for One by One Nutrition. I primarily coach people on one-on-one over the telephone, and I also create program content about emotional eating. I love my job so much. I've also taught anatomically-based yoga for over 20 years, and I've had a massage therapy license for 10 years. I have a solid knowledge base in the Eastern science of Ayurveda that yoga is derived from, and also the Western sciences of anatomy and pathology. They all totally fascinate me. I'm, I, I think my, my subtitle would be body nerd. I'm definitely totally fascinated by our physicality and how it works. And I parlay all that stuff into my teaching and my coaching. And I came to nutrition coaching as a client. I had an illness in 2010 that left me with some weight gain. And I looked around and I tried a couple diets and they didn't work. And I thought, you know, there's got to be a better way. And I had the great good fortune of being coached through a habit-based program by Georgie Fear. And it worked. And I loved the method. And I lost weight. I learned about myself. It was just like, wow, this is how it's supposed to be. And then a while later, I saw that Georgie and Roland had started One by One Nutrition, and Josh Hillis has since joined them. It's their amazing as a team. And I signed up for one of their first group coaching forays, kind of out of curiosity, like, wow, I think these guys are so nice and smart. I wonder what they're doing. And also to support them because I had felt so supported by them before. And then that was also a wonderful experience. And then I mentored for them. And then as their business grew, they asked me to coach for them. And I probably hurt their ears with how enthusiastically (laughs) I accepted that offer. And so that's kind of how I got to where I am now. Okay. And how would you um, kind of compare the diets that you've tried before when you were trying to lose weight? compared to like a habit-based approach? Yeah, that's a great question. So diets in general are a set of guidelines that have worked for someone. And then that someone is like, wow, that really worked for me. I think I'm going to market this. It should work for everybody, right? But the thing is, we're all individuals. And habit-based or skills-based coaching, what it does is it says, hey, here's this general really great idea. And now we're going to individualize it to you and your life and your preferences. And we're going to learn it as a skill instead of a rule to follow. So when you learn a skill or you learn a new habit, you get to practice, you get to ask for help, you get to fail, you get to have some successes, you get to learn and get curious instead of just being like, oh my gosh, I try to do all these rules about food and I just can't do them because honestly, they probably don't suit you. Um, 
And so of course they're not going to work. And then you're going to think, Oh my, well, I'm not everybody. I can speak for myself. Then I thought, Oh, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm bad. I couldn't follow these rules. Woe is me kind of a perfectionistic black and white kind of reality instead of a step-by-step. Okay. If that didn't quite work, how can I change it? So it could work for me. Curious, more internally motivated approach. Gotcha. Um, so it's just I find like with uh, diets, they're almost like way too restrictive where, you know, people look at whatever diet they find on the Internet and they automatically just look at what I can't do and what I can do compared to like, let's focus on one thing at a time and go from there. That's OK. Bummer. Is it edible? Ed- editable? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it will. Oh, good. <laughs> we could always just pick up. I just totally forgot what I said now. <laughs> But it's all good. It's all good. Um, we can so just go talking to the- about the difference between how diets have a bunch of rules and yeah. they kind of tell you all at once, like these big lists of what to do or not, and it's kind of overwhelming, and how a skills and habit-based approach is like, hey, let's try this one little thing out and get you some success that we can build on. Perfect. Um, yeah. Trying to think where to go with this. Um, I think the issue with like trying to convince someone with habits is a tough sell whereas like you know people can go on instagram or facebook and see you know this 30-day cleanse diet crap that looks more appealing because it's the quick result but in reality it's like it takes a while for long-term success i often tell people that in my experience and this is true The slower that you lose weight, the more sustainable that weight loss is because you, I mean, I don't know about you. I have had the experience and many of my clients have had the experience of, you know, being uh, tantalized by that, you know, 30 day lose a million pounds promise and done it felt kind of awful and restricted during it. And then, oh, wow, look at me for this, you know, six hour window. I have these results and I'm feeling really good about myself, but I am so hungry and I'm going to rebound and gain all that weight back. And so I'll also try to educate them about media and about advertising and about Photoshop and just, hey, like, let's look at what's real and what's not real. I honestly look at a lot of the diet industry that you see in the glossy magazines by the cash register as fiction. Yeah. I always try to show something from the media that's actually good. So a good example I always give to clients is um, Chris Pratt, who got in shape for uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh huh. And like he was maybe like 20 or 30 pounds overweight, like just a regular kind of build. And I remember when he was on an interview, I can't remember what show, but honestly, all he said that he did was like, I stopped drinking beer, I stopped eating junk food, and I just ate normally. And the weight just came off. And it wasn't like, you know, some extreme diet that every other actor goes through. He just lost the fat from bad habits. <laughs> uh-huh. That's excellent. And yeah. that's a good idea, too, because then you're offering them a credible source that is an addition to what you're saying. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Now, jumping in, um, can you give us like an explanation what emotional eating is and how would you know if you are a victim of it and is it something that you need to be diagnosed with or is this just one of those things that happens? 
Sure. So how I define emotional eating is that it is eating when you are wanting to avoid an uncomfortable emotion. And it's particularly you're, you're looking for soothing or distraction. And so that's kind of my, in a nutshell, definition. Mm-hmm. And to know if you're a victim of it or have to be diagnosed, I've never heard of an official diagnosis for emotional eating per se, but I have seen it in combination with depression, anxiety, low self-esteem, which are all things that can be diagnosed psychologically. As far as knowing if you're an emotional eater or not, it's often you, what's described to me is, is I felt really bad and then I came out of this fog and I'd eaten half a bag of cookies. There's kind of like this, this common experience of kind of coming out of some bizarre zone and not feeling very much emotionally anymore from your bad day, but having found you've eaten a lot. And so you might know about yourself like, oh, when I have a really stressful day at work, I just want to go home and eat. Or when I'm sad or when I'm lonely, or even after I've had a really good dinner, but I don't have anything to do that night and I wish I did, I just want to eat. So it, it's turning to food for a type of nourishment that might be meant better with a different tool. Now, as a coach, what would be like some signs for you to like figure out if, you know, I'm assuming not a lot of people, if they're unaware that they're emotionally eating, they're probably not going to tell you like, oh yeah, every night I come home and I drink a whole bottle of wine, Mm -hmm. right? Like Mm -hmm. what would be like the small clues for you to figure out if the person is an emotional eater? Yeah. Sometimes I do have people and they will come to me and say, I emotionally eat. I do it here. I do it on this day because this day is like this. And then it's, you know, we can really get to the nitty gritty quickly. But as you just said, a lot of people don't know. And what, what the tip off is for me is they will do really well. say to me, like, I totally see why I should do this, but I just can't, or I just don't seem to, or I just forget to. 
there's kind of this like checking out or avoidance behavior I see in them. And then I know like, huh, okay, I need to dig a little bit deeper here and see if there's some underlying feeling issue that's going on. Is there like a common um, kind of reoccurrence that like, say it's just like work stress, is that like a common one or does it differ for person to person? Yes, my goodness. I hope I'm not having the record for the most dropped call. <laughs> Jeez. It's all right. We can, this is raw. I love it. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So I was saying that one major underlying theme I see is essentially people don't feel like they're worthy of love. Okay. And so they don't get their needs for emotional nourishment meant because they don't feel brave enough to ask for that or to figure that out, or it's too difficult to figure out. And so they reach for the food because it's easy, it's there, it's sweet, it's delicious, and it soothes them. Now, do you think it can stem from like all the way from childhood, or would it be something they would pick up as an adult? Both. Absolutely, it can stem from childhood, especially if that's the way you were soothed in childhood. I mean, gosh, most of our parents had really stressful lives too. You know, it's nothing new, the stress thing. So could easily be like, oh, you know, I don't have time to, to deal with this this kid freaking out. Here's a cookie, you know? Yeah. And that's not saying anything bad about parents. It's just a reality. And then also a lot of people, a lot of, uh, well, you see this in advertising, speaking of advertising, is it will stem from our first heartbreaks. You know, you mean the, the Haagen-Dazs and the Dove companies, oh my goodness, their ads are just essentially like, here, darling, everything is okay, eat me. You know, I mean, it's just, it's kind of astounding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, like, um, I can't remember where I read it, but um, that whole story of like, yeah, you you know, you're a child, you're running around, you fall over, you hurt yourself, and, you know, mom comes to the rescue, patches you up, and here, here's a cookie, you're going to feel better. Right. And, you know, now you associate, oh, anytime I'm in pain, maybe if I eat something, it'll actually help, just because it became a habit from your parents. I think that that definitely can be the case, and also, it just simply does feel good to eat. Eating is and should be pleasurable. We just need to to know when it's appropriate as well. Now, what's the difference between like rewarding yourself to emotionally eating? Like an example would be, you know, you get a new brand new job that you're hoping for. You come home and you have like a huge dinner and you stuff yourself because you wanted to tell yourself that you did a good job, but you kind of pick and choose when you do that compared to say it's a nightly thing. I think that that's definitely one aspect. I think that also um, you said, and then you stuff yourself because you you want to know you did a good job. I think that's an interesting thing that's installed in our culture is that, wow, stuffing yourself to the point of discomfort is a way to feel good. And I question that because for myself, I used to be like that and I do not like feeling stuffed anymore. So I think it's also about learning to listen to your body's signals and making friends with your body and honoring it with like, well, you know what? We are going to eat this super delicious food, exactly what I want, but we're going to eat a reasonable portion and enjoy it so much and then walk away before we get into that zone of, of probably maybe not liking what we've done the next day of regret. 
Yeah, I think a lot of people like they can go to dinner and have a huge dinner. They're already full, and then when the server comes around to say, "Oh, you want dessert?" You never say no. You're like, "Oh yeah, I can I can make a room for a dessert." And that's when you go through that point where, man, I don't think I can move anymore. Right, and I guess the question I always want to I'm always curious about is, do you enjoy you know feeling inert? And you know maybe some people do it. It is soothing. But I find for myself that I don't anymore. Yeah, because I can even like relate to fitness professionals of the whole idea of like, you know, you eat really, really clean during the whole week and then the weekend comes and you're like, okay, it's time to reward myself for having such a clean week. So I'm going to have pizza, I'm going to have fries, I'm going to have this, I'm going to have that and feel like crap the next day. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that um, one by one nutrition in general and with emotional eaters in specific, we talk about is that there are no good and bad foods. So I eat whatever I want to eat, basically whenever I eat it at this point. Now I will say I do love vegetables, I do love lean meats, but I also love wine and, and fatty cheeses and, and gourmet food. And so I just take that into consideration and I eat when I'm hungry and I don't overeat very often at all. And if I do, it's not to the extent that I used to. And I enjoy my food. Yeah, I think a lot of people feel that there are good and bad foods, but in reality, it's like, not really, but if you're eating it in abundance of anything, it could probably be pretty bad for you. Right. You know, and I think that that good and bad food thing really messes with people's heads because then they get into feeling that scarcity or feeling, you know, the I shoulds, you know, they should on themselves and, and all that stuff, which as we know, just leads to feeling over constrained and repressed and then, ah, screw it. I'm going to eat it all, you know, yeah. rebellion. Definitely. It's kind of like that analogy of like, if you tell your child not to touch the hot stove repeatedly, they're going to touch it. (laughs) Yeah. They're going to get so curious by this forbidden fruit of the hot stove. That's actually painful, you know? And, and that's, yeah, that's a great analogy. Yeah. Sometimes you need to fail just to see what it is. And then you can realize, okay, maybe I shouldn't have eaten the whole box of chocolate Mm -hmm. and just had like one or two and I'm good to go. Mm-hmm. And I do, I agree with you. I think it's important to go ahead and live out our human experiences, but learn from them. Don't go unconscious after you ate the box of cookies. Be like, huh, this is how a box of cookies makes me feel. All right, now I know. Yeah, I think uh, actually when I interviewed Georgie, she said, um, you know, you're not going to have a perfect year of eating. You know, you're going to have a donut here or there, and that's completely fine. Mm-hmm. And even healthy. When people come to me and their diets are like squeaky clean, I'm like, uh-oh, we're headed for an explosion some here. Yeah, because you can only do it for so much. Like, you don't have that much willpower to eat clean all the freaking time. I've even seen, like, people who've had, you know, backgrounds in fitness competitions and they're used to the idea of always eating clean, the chicken, uh, the chicken and broccoli, and they get to a point where they're just sick of clean eating like they just want to get away from it and just eat everything and anything that's in front of them i think that enjoying life is a really big part of sustainability definitely yeah because the moment you restrict someone from something 
they just wanted to have, they just want that more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much true across the board, even for people, like you said, that are, are very disciplined. There's, there's, you just have to have the joy. You have to have the juice if you want to keep going. So now if you were a regular person listening to this and they're like, oh, okay, I can enjoy the small little treats and say, you know, next week they go, it's Monday, they know they should be eating clean, but they're like, oh, I'm going to have a little chocolate. And then they enjoy that. And then Tuesday comes around, they're like, oh, I'm going to have chocolate again. Would that eventually maybe go into the wrong direction and create like an emotional eating disorder, do you think? or I, I don't think so. Okay. In fact, one of the habits that I have actually assigned clients, several clients, is to install a piece of chocolate in the evening. So say this person has prior to this, and it depends on where this person's come from. So <clears throat> a typical client for me um, eats from, they eat dinner and then they just keep eating until they go to bed. That's a very common pattern is evening eating, usually out of boredom or loneliness, you know, all the regular things that we humans experience. And so then I'll say, okay, so it sounds like you want something soothing in the evening. What is your most favorite thing? And nine times out of 10, I'm talking to a woman and nine times out of 10, it's dark chocolate. So then we talk about what kind of dark chocolate. I even get them to say the brand, you know, and I get it from here. And okay, and now it's on my grocery list. And I have them plan to have one square, so that's a reasonable serving, of incredibly high-quality dark chocolate. And usually with a cup of tea is a very nice combination. And they just have that. They get to decide when, like, oh, maybe after the kids go to bed or after I've cleaned up the kitchen or at 8.30 or whatever it is for them. And they plan to have that. And what that does is it offers them something that they know they're going to get. So when they're tempted to just start eating and kind of zone out with eating, they can tell themselves, hey, I have my favorite thing waiting for me. I don't need all this crap. And then they can do that. And the, the, the net result is they're eating less calories. Okay. That almost like could also be like a stress reliever, especially in the evening during the week. Because I find a lot of people right now in our generation where, you know, you're always on your phone, always on your laptop before bed, and you don't have anything to actually like tone you down. Mm -hmm. Having that little chocolate kind of almost relaxes you and gives you like a calming feeling. Absolutely. And there's lots of other things. Some people will watch a funny movie, you know, laughter, or they'll take a warm bath or a warm shower, or they'll consciously make time to connect with their their partner or their roommate and talk over their day, you know, to get some of those emotions out if they need to actually talk to someone else or their journal or play with their dog or cat. You know, there's so many other ways to decompress in a healthy way um, instead of eating to cover the emotions over. Right. Do you think um, people can go towards other things other than food to cope with emotions as well? Absolutely. All those things I just listed for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I One of my most successful strategies with people, sounds a little bit funny at first, but talking to yourself out loud. And this is a great thing to do if you drive home from work by yourself 
or if you live by yourself, or I, I've been known to, to go in the bathroom, close the door and mutter to myself. <laughs> Is that, um, and you just can ask, I had a client once that had that pattern I was talking about where she ate after dinner. And one of our first skills that we worked on is after dinner, when she started eating, she was just to ask herself out loud, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? What is it that you really need? And all this different stuff comes out and it's all different for everyone. But a lot of times it's, it can be work stress. You know, it can be something like, I can't believe they said that. And then they did this. And, and that wasn't my responsibility, but I did it anyway. Like I always do, you know, whatever it is. And when you talk out loud, it allows you to let out the emotion and then the urge to eat is so much less. That's funny. I actually do that. I sometimes when I drive home from work, like I usually listen to music, but sometimes when I have like a really busy day or there's a lot going on, I need to actually turn it off and just talk to myself yeah. to let it all out. And I'm like, oh, exactly. I, I feel better. <laughs> Isn't it great? Yeah. I don't, you know, when you when people first try it, they like they say to me like, I don't know, that sounds you know weird. That sounds like I'm a crazy person, you know. But then they try it and they're like, wow, that really helped. Definitely. So other than food, have you seen people like go into emotional eating with say like alcohol or something else or just like watching Netflix for like three hours for, before bed with that? Have you seen that at all? Oh yeah, absolutely. Because really what we're talking about is we're talking about avoiding looking at our feelings. And so there's lots of ways to do that. Food is really popular and actually a combination of what you just talked about is really popular. Eating while watching TV is, you know, maybe number one and absolutely alcohol as well, because what we're looking for is we're wanting to feel different. We are not comfortable with how we're feeling. Shopping. People go shopping. Yeah, that's another one, but, uh, gets expensive. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I find it interesting when, um, especially now with, like, the Netflix age where you can just binge watch a whole season of, say, House of Cards and you actually, like, lose a sense of time or even, like, where you are in space and you end up, like, not even paying attention what's happening in the story. is just something to, like, turn mm-hmm. off the brain, yeah. And you can totally get caught up in that world, too, you know, because like you said, you just keep going with that storyline and then it's, like, that becomes your reality for those hours. Definitely. Do you also find that people emotionally eat because of how they look? Usually not at first. Usually first it's a reaction to life stress, as we've talked about. Later, people say they've gained some weight. Then they'll be have that attitude of like, oh, I'm already overweight. It doesn't matter what I'll eat. I'll just eat this. Oh, I shouldn't have eaten that. Now I feel bad. Oh, I'll eat to feel better. You know, then they get in that cycle of feeling bad, self-soothing with the food, feeling bad about eating the food, and then self-soothing that bad feeling again with food. Okay. Now, if you had a brand new client that came in and said, hey, I'm an emotional eater. What are the first steps to do? What would you kind of suggest them and kind of almost create a plan on how to attack it to make them successful and beat it? Mm-hmm. The first step, well, would be to look at skills to do right then when they feel the urge to emotionally eat. And there's two types of people. Some are, some know their patterns. They're like, 
I emotionally eat at 4.45 on Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. I mean, they're like that sometimes. <laughs> Other people are like, I just emotionally eat. I'm just an emotional eater. I do it all the time. So with person one that knows their patterns, we think, what else can we do right then? And this, this, that's a classic person for, can you go somewhere and talk to yourself out loud? Can you get, can you journal? Can, is there someone you can talk to? Is, can you go outside and look at the sky and take 10 deep breaths? Can you put your hand on your heart and breathe into that touch and, and feel that you're okay for 10 seconds? And you know, we try to interrupt that pattern. If it's someone that feels kind of lost, like, wow, I don't know when I do it, why I do it, I just go into this fog, then that's where we look for kind of like uh, stop, drop, and roll when you're on fire, you know? It's like you come to consciousness, you're, you're emotionally eating or you're about to emotionally eat. What is something else I can do? And I'm a big fan of sticky notes. I'm a big fan of writing things on your hand. I'm a big fan of putting weird things in uh, common places. Like um, my favorite ever was one of my clients got a plastic Godzilla and put it on her counter and Godzilla's job was like to say, hey, do you actually need a nap instead of this food? You know, to have something that, that breaks, again, we're trying to break that pattern to then be able to step back and go, oh, I'm emotionally eating now. Because first we have to recognize when it happens if we don't know that yet. And then I have a whole list and a lot of them we've said today of things to try instead. And as we've also said today, you might not succeed. You might go, wow, I'm really stressed out. And I'm about to emotionally eat and then go ahead and eat. But you've put in that pause. And to start getting that pause in there is going to create the space to change the behavior eventually. So that would be the first step. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I remember I had a client come up to me and tell me that she was an emotional eater. And I was like, first of all, this was like the first that's ever happened to me. And I was just thinking about what, um, you know, they should focus on. And I was like, you know, as long as you're aware that you're doing it, kind of like play detective with your body that, you know, maybe write down what time you did it or what you felt that day and kind of just be aware of a pattern. And that was kind of like my first like thought process of trying to attack that issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's perfect. Like I, in um, the emotional eating skills pack I'm working on for one by one, identify your patterns is the second lesson. So that's beautiful, absolutely. Because once we notice and we become aware of our behavior, then we can start to decide how we would like to change it or how it could work out better for us. Do you think like the whole idea of like distracting yourself like that Godzilla example is kind of the best avenue or is there other ways to help with that well i i think that that's kind of the um the first stop gap you know let's not burn up kind of thing and then later there's a lot you can do there's a lot you can do with self talk with self esteem work with understanding your own motivations and values um One thing I've been talking to my clients about lately is we hear this phrase um, in relationships a lot of unspoken agreements, you know, of behavior that we have with each other. And we see that in families all the time. I think we have those with ourselves. And we have like this agreement like, oh, I'm going to be tough and not show my feelings. And at work, I'm going to be like this. And that actually, there's some 
some emotional debt that gets uh, built up with that, those kind of emotional uh, unspoken things that we just do as habits. And so a lot of times I find for people to be really successful to break an emotional eating pattern, they actually have to unpack their relationship with themselves and renegotiate, decide who they want to be, what values they want to act from in their lives, and rebuild. And it's scary. It's a kind of a big deal, but it is so rewarding. The freedom and the ease, the just the joy in life I see clients get is just beautiful. It almost seems like anything to do with your health, you really got to dig down deep to figure <clears throat> out what's actually going on. Cause like, exactly. Even when people, like I got a new client and they're like, I'm like, okay, what's your goal? I want to lose 10 pounds. Why? I want to look better. Why do you want to look better? And it, you got to keep peeling layers and layers and layers until you figure out what the hell's going on with them. And, exactly. then, they, and then they figure out, okay, now it's actually worth you know, losing weight because I know what I want to do. Exactly. Oh, and that reminds me of another thing that I run into a lot is I will run into people that say they want to do something like, oh, I really want to you know, work on this skill. And then they just week after week won't do it. Yeah. And then I'll find out they don't actually want to. Someone else wants them to do it. So you have to make sure that they are owning their own expectations, that the expectation they're trying to fulfill is one they've made for themselves, not one they've gotten from a magazine, from their mom, from their husband, whoever. Do you find that sometimes, like, say, the family example, like, say the wife is trying to get healthy, you know, stop her emotional eating, but the rest of the family's not that supportive and they have a huge influence on her? Have you ever seen something like that? A lot. Yeah. And it's... it's <clears throat> It's hard. Yeah, it's tough because, like, I remember, I can't remember, I think I was talking to Jordan Syed, and he was saying that probably the best approach if someone was trying to, you know, get healthy but the rest of the family's not on board is kind of almost like sit them down and say, hey, this is going to be really important to me. You guys don't have to change anything, but I need you to support me to be, actually be successful in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. And I do think it's uh, that phraseology of like, you know, you don't have to do this because I think a lot of times the family's resistance is they don't want to change. You know, they haven't decided to dig into their stuff, Yeah, <laughs> you know, so, but yeah, but yeah, to let, let them know, Hey, I'm doing this and it's important to me. And if you value me, if you care for me, then you're not going to at least not get in my way. Yeah. I think the worst of that I've seen is that, you know, one of the spouses does really well, you know, they get healthy, they get fit, and then the other one actually gets jealous and tries to even sabotage their success because they're not happy with themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's really difficult. It uh, reminds me of that, that first group coaching that I, I was a client in with Georgie, um, we had several divorces oh, <laughs> in that group of women, <laughs> so it can get pretty intense, you know? It's, it's funny. It's actually pretty common because like over the years of training clients, like they'll go through divorces if they see really good results, like they completely change their life. And then they realize this person's actually holding me down and mm -hmm. actually not giving me anything to progress in my life. So mm -hmm. they just cut it. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, it's really, um, it can be sobering in its impact. And it also reminds me again and again that with all of the decisions that we make in life, be they really small or really big, that it's important to get in touch with our own integrity and to make our decisions from a place of as most clarity as we can find in that moment. Yeah. Do you feel like um, emotional eating out in internet land isn't that like, I want to say popular, but not that well known for people? Do do you feel like the industry is kind of lacking on raising awareness on it? Well, I think that there's the maybe perhaps the fitness kind of more um, people that were personal trainers and then became nutrition or wellness coaches, maybe from that direction, it's not as represented as it could be, but from the psychological direction as far as self-help or that kind of thing, it is out there quite a bit. Okay. Yeah, because like when I try to do continuing education, like, you know, you'll see everything on how to lift heavy, how to deadlift, how to do this, and then anything nutrition, it's like really sciencey, but mm-hmm. it, they don't ever write enough articles, I find, on this kind of stuff that's probably affecting a lot more people than that small population. I would agree. I would love to see more overlap between the wellness and fitness coaching professions and the psychology, personal development. Yeah, because when you really think about it, when you're coaching a client, sure, you can teach them how to exercise, but really deep down, you're like their psychologist almost. Absolutely. I mean, gosh, in my years of yoga teaching, you would be amazed at the questions people would ask me about pretty much every aspect of life. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, once you've gained someone's trust, it's uh, kind of no holds barred. Yeah, I always like figuring out, like, why people do certain things. So that's why, you know, I always start off with people like, oh, just write down three days worth of what you eat. And then I kind of look at it, I'm like, okay, whatever, you eat this, this, and that. But I'm more curious, like, oh, why did you skip this meal? Or why do you not eat breakfast? Why do you do this? Why do you do that? And when they start kind of opening up, you kind of figure out what's going on in their life. And now you step back as, you know, you should be eating vegetables at this time. You should be doing this to why did you feel like you didn't need to eat breakfast and things like that? Mm-hmm. And I think that's brilliant because what you're describing there is you're reading between the lines yeah. and they're kind of trying to be like the A student and give you what you want. Yeah. And then you're noticing like, oh, look, look at this funny little behavior that you have that might be actually hurting you. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so I think we are running out of time, but really quickly, um, where can people find you on the internet if you have any projects coming up and anything like that? Yeah, well, I'm on onebyonenutrition.com as a coach, and that's my main place. I'm kind of, um, I was one of those people just a few years ago that didn't really like the internet or forums or any of that stuff. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm one of those people that has uh, changed, and now I really appreciate the online format. And then I'm also on Facebook, just my name, Sarah Campbell, and I do uh, put 
nutrition related and health related and also a lot of pictures of my dog <laughs> on my Facebook page but you're certainly welcome to friend me and projects coming up is right now my main project is working on several layers of skills for one by one nutrition um, that go all the way from the stop drop and roll let's put out the fire right now to the let's figure out how to renegotiate our our unspoken agreements with ourselves and really move forward and, and change our lives and those are in written format so I'm doing a lot of writing perfect so I want to thank you so much for your time even though the internet kept dropping in and out <laughs> but I'm pretty sure we got some good stuff <laughs> great and thank you and have a wonderful day you too all right hopefully you guys enjoyed the awesome interview with Sarah and again I apologize for the internet cutting out but you know there's still a lot of good information in there and again, if you guys have any questions, feel free to email me at rafael at empowerhp.ca. Check out the website at cuttheshitgetfit.com. Find my podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher Radio. Just look up Cut the Shit, Get Fit. And we'll see you guys next week.